is Amber Fuller. Um, I am a host of Fuller Living Counseling's podcast, uh, Narcissism, More for the Soul, Overcoming overcoming Narcissism and All Things Narcissism. I'm here with my co-host, Brody, my son, who is bright and brilliant and 13 years old. And uh, today we have decided to take on the task of uh, probably one of two episodes of talking about secondary abuse and uh, the reason why it will likely take um, two episodes is because secondary abuse is such a such a broad topic um, such a not broad but such a large topic um, and such a prevalent thing that happens in today's day um, I should probably let people know just for purposes of uh, knowing your source. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I uh, am the owner and clinical director of Fuller Living Counseling. And let's see if I can get this right this time. We have locations in, well, we have providers in and locations in Minnesota, providers in Wisconsin, Montana, Florida, Indiana, Washington. And that is it, I believe. Um, so secondary abuse. Um, I first learned about secondary abuse when I was uh, reading through um, and researching narcissism, covert narcissism, reading through people who specialize in narcissism, um, so that I could become a specialist of narcissism. And my main reason for being interested in what secondary abuse was uh, is because it had happened to me. Uh, so fre- so it, it happened to me so frequently and I didn't understand why I was uh, being put in the seat where I was changing things and nothing was changing. Um, I think, so just to educate a little about what secondary abuse is and how I would define it is, um, I mean, it's a lot like blame shifting. It's when the onus of responsibility is taken off of the person, the abuser, and put on the 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 uh, victim. So the onus of responsibility is taken off of the perpetrator and put on the victim. Now, the difference between blame shifting and secondary abuse is that secondary abuse doesn't happen by the narcissist. Secondary abuse happens by the uh, people that are usually professionals who are talking to the uh, narcissist and their significant other. Um, if they're going in for counseling or um, needing some extra additional support. Um, The two biggest, and I really, um, unfortunately, it is unfortunate that the two biggest uh, fields that we see secondary abuse in, and research has shown this, is uh, within, unfortunately, the mental health field. So people that are the most guilty of secondary abuse are therapists and pastors or clergy members um, or lay pastors, leaders in the church. Um, And 
I think it's really interesting that those are also the two positions that probably have the most power to create the most positive change in relationships where abuse is occurring and yet at the same time you know with every gift comes a curse and the curse that comes with that power is secondary abuse uh, the best example that I have in my own personal life of secondary abuse and I'll hand the phone off to Brody at some point with a microphone uh, the best example that I have of secondary abuse is I had seen a therapist for I'd been seeing a therapist for, I think, 10 years, um, off and on. I didn't see her every week for 10 years. I'd go in for, you know, a visit here and a visit there. And, um, I would usually go in if something really big happened between my ex and I, and, um, I didn't know how to handle it. And what I would find is that she would say things like, well, why don't you try changing this? And why don't you try changing that? And I was not ever validated in the abuse that I was experiencing. And although I have not been completely open about all of the abuse, um, those that know me well know the abuse that, that I have been through. Um, and that is mainly just you know, out of, well, I think both respect and fear, both respect for Dylan and the fear of saying those things out loud. But she did know. She knew what was going on. She knew that there was physical, yes, physical, verbal, emotional, and mental abuse going on. And her response was always like, just pray about it. Take it to the Lord. Um, increase your faith. And it was never what my current therapist says is, dude, you, you got to get out. And what Dylan's therapist said, dude, you got to get out. You got to leave. Like you should not be subjecting yourself to that. Um, the last session that I ever had with that therapist, I had made a list of all of the things that had happened within that two week period when uh, my ex and I had been meeting with uh, the 10 year therapist, uh, for couples counseling. Uh, so I was, I had written down a list of these really super abusive behaviors and, um, the response was nothing. So there was no acknowledgement to this note. I still have the note even uh, on my phone. Uh, there was no acknowledgement of the note. And, uh, I also, um, then was asked after she didn't acknowledge or validate the note I was asked or we were asked why are you guys still married I want you to think about why you're still married so she just completely ignores all of the abuse that I just read to her why are you still married I want you to think about that so I said well I am married to him because I love him and because I believe that he can do and be better and uh, I believe that he can change these behaviors and then she looked at him and she said, uh, Dylan, why are you married? And his response was, well, because she needs my health insurance. And to that, the therapist moved on, moved on. Like she just moved on. Um, and that was the last time that we ever saw her. <laughs> and that was the point in which um, 
I think that was actually the point in which we sought out Marriage Recovery Center and found Dr. Hawkins, who specialized in narcissism, which is what Dylan really needed. Um, and I needed somebody in my corner on that. And having Dr. Hawkins in my corner was enough for me. I also had my own therapist, but we weren't really, I mean, we were working on like boundaries. Well, I shouldn't say we were, we were working on, on my end and things that I can do to protect myself and to make it clear that I would not be treated that way or would not tolerate being treated that way. And that's when things started shifting and changing. But, um, yeah, I'm curious if, if Brody, if you have anything to say about this. About, about what? Well, you just reached for the microphone. You reached for the microphone, so. Um, what are your thoughts on secondary abuse? My thoughts on secondary abuse. Uh, well, to some, secondary abuse can kind of be a sensitive topic, right? I, I, I'd say it could be a sensitive talk to, uh, top, topic to some. But that doesn't really have to do anything about what I, what I think and about it. Uh, if, if you know that somebody is going through something and you do, you tell them that what if you changed yourself or what if you changed this that you're doing when you did tell them what is happening like if you have an abusive partner like the thing that people would say you need to change that's that's just that just seems so wild to me yeah it is wild it kind of makes me like it reminds me of like you getting hit with a baseball bat and somebody watching it and then coming up to you and being like hey what did you do? Like, and this like random person just came up to you and hit you in the head with a baseball bat. And then they're asking you, what did you do? Maybe you shouldn't have stood there. Maybe you shouldn't have stood in that spot right there and then you wouldn't have gotten hit. Or next time, why don't you just not get hit in the head with the baseball bat? It's wild. Secondary abuse can also be a game. It can be a very emotional game that your partner will play on you. Well, it's not your partner. Or just not your partner, but your your friends or somebody you're talking to or a therapist. Or a pastor. Or a pastor. And that's the sad part. Pastors do that kind of stuff. Like, you're the church. Why would you do that? There's no, there's no words for it. So I'm trying to think of other ways um, or examples of um, secondary abuse that I've experienced. Um, I think that oftentimes it can happen and... Um, people, people will just pass it by. Yeah, people don't realize that they're doing it while they're doing it. So to say, like, 
like people f- when when a person finds out that you're being emotionally abused which is no different than being physically abused ps for those in the back uh it makes people feel uncomfortable and they don't want to be in a position where they want to get involved and uh that lack of involvement is is also secondary it, it is um if you're in a position if you're if you're in a position where you can have a voice in what's going on if you're in a position where you you can have a voice on what's going on then you need to take that opportunity of sharing that sharing sharing your voice to others and to let them know what's going on cuz what's going on is not okay but if you don't do anything then then you're then that's that's secondary abuse Um, it has been really hard for me and I think I've been putting this topic off because I've experienced, I've experienced this with people who, um, are friends of mine and I, I don't, I don't want to call anybody out and I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable and I don't want to make you know I don't want to offend and yet secondary abuse is the reason why I it's the reason why I stayed in the relationship that I stayed in for so long it's you know it's it's the reason why I ended up being abused for so long it's it just if somebody had said, like, what you're experiencing isn't your fault, and somebody had advocated for me, I I wouldn't have been in that place, and I don't think Brody would have been in that place where we were both feeling suicidal. Like, there was an opportunity that people had to have a voice, and they they didn't use their voice. Um, and that's, that's, that's precisely what I was saying. Yeah. Like, so you, if you, you have the opportunity right when you know what's going on and you can, you can push that opportunity off and just say, well, it might change. But no, you, if you know, then you know. And if you still know it, then you should at least, if it's going to change in the future, you should at least have that voice right now. Yeah. What do you think about that? If it's going to change in the future, you should at least have that voice right now. Well, I think that you can't really, when you're being abused, you're kind of stuck in the mud. You're kind of stuck in muddy water. And it's really difficult to see clearly so um you can't change you you need those people in your life to advocate for you because you're so stuck in it that you don't see what you're stuck in if if somebody tells you that they're being abused 
but you don't, when you know, but you don't want to be in the middle of it. And you're in a position of power. Mm-hmm. When you have power, when you have a voice, but you don't, and but you say you don't want to get in the middle of it, that is also secondary abuse. Right? What do and you think? Of that? I think that if you know, you should take action, and you should share your voice with others, so others know. What, what kind of action should somebody like that take? Somebody who knows that somebody else is being abused, but they don't want to get in the middle of it. What action should the person that doesn't want to... The person in the position of power that doesn't want to get in the middle of it, yes. Then they just, they shouldn't even know. But but they do. Mm. So what actions should they take when they do? Well, they should go to the church. If if they are Christian, they should, they should at least, uh, they should go to a church and tell, tell the people or the pastors at the church that this person is going through that and that they need help and that church's pastors will come out and help them because the pastors are supposed to help you fight the battle, not watch you from the sidelines as you fight your battle alone. I think I'm curious. I'm curious why you're why you are so passionate about talking about the church and secondary abuse that happens in the church. Cuz I'm a therapist and it happens in my field all the time which I'll talk about a little bit, but I'm curious why you're so passionate about how it happens in the church well because even though some churches say that they they are so holy and they are just they're with god i mean just because you're a church that doesn't automatically make you close to god and it's it's when you have corrupt people as the as the executives of this church you're going to What do you mean by executives? You mean like uh, just people who are in leadership? Yeah, people people who people who say that they want to share the gospel. I mean, we are all like we are all cursed by sin, but there are others that that don't deny or that that Man, that say that, or that don't care. Those people should not be the ones in leadership. Because you reap what you sow. If you... If you... If you plant corrupt seeds, all that will grow is more corruptness. Until, until Until the one seed doesn't have corruptness anymore. That did not make sense, but... Well, then explain what you meant. Man, I'm, very, I, I'm sorry. I'm very overstimulated. Okay, okay. There's so, so a lot of stuff going on right now. But uh, you can't have a good church if you don't have people that know what they've done 
and know how to justify for what they've done and that know how to change. They know how to change. You mean like you can't you like the people who are, who are abusive or the people who are in the people who are in the church who are in, who are leaders because leadership. I know that I know that this type of stuff happens in churches and that's the saddest thing because as a church you're not supposed to be watching from the sideline you're a church you're you're the you're the shield of God you are God's word. Yeah, you you referenced last time watching from the sidelines, and I hadn't ever thought of that expression before, and I guess I just get curious, like, where does that come from when you bring up watching from the sidelines? Where does that come from? Yeah. Well, think of it as, like... I know what it means, but for you... You've said it twice now, and so that makes me think you're pretty passionate about people not watching from the sidelines. Why are you so... What What has caused you to be so passionate about that? Because it's happened before. Like, to you personally, or you've seen it happen to other people? I've or... seen it happen... And I've experienced it. How have you experienced it? Hmm. How, or how I, has your family experienced how's it? How's my family experienced it? Hmm. How do I how do I say this without I when I say this I, I I mean this in all utter respect, kindness, and love. But we've we've seen it in the church, and that's that's why I bring up the church 